0: I'm Dan Kurtzky. And
1: this is the Lantern Cast.
0: Episode 17.
1: What have we got planned for this episode, Dan?
0: Well, this time around we're going to be talking about the. Oh god, I forgot what it was called
1: <laughs> Emerald Eclipse.
0: Emerald <laughs> Eclipse! <laughs> oh, jeez. Dan, Dan,
1: that's funny because I'm the one that should have forgotten the title.
0: That's true. I'm the one that reread it for this episode last night. <laughs> um, hey, I skimmed through it. You skimmed through it. God damn. It. I read... I, I was up until, like, 4.30 in the morning, which is actually normal for me, but... <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to be talking about Emerald Eclipse. It ran through Green Lantern Core 33 through 38. Uh, we're going to be doing it much in the same style as our... Uh, Sins of the Star Sapphire episode from a while back. We're gonna be speaking fairly broadly about the whole story arc and the title as a the title in general. But before we get to that, you had some news. I do.
1: Would you like to know what it is?
0: Well not really, but it's out there now.
1: Okay. So if you go to splashpage.mtv.com and we will have a link in the show notes. You can actually see the first four minutes of Green Lantern First Flight, the new animated movie that's going to be coming out on the final Tuesday of this month.
0: That's pretty close. Now, I haven't... I don't generally, like, watch bits of movies in advance except for, like, a trailer. Right. Like, how much does this actually show?
1: It basically shows, like, the first couple of minutes of the origin of Hal Jordan. He
0: gets the ring. Oh, that happens within the first five minutes? Yeah. That's surprising.
1: Well, I think it's a good idea.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, for some reason I thought, like, uh, well, first, how long is the movie? Is it supposed to be, like, an hour and a half or something?
1: Yeah, I figure probably around there.
0: Because for some reason I had in my head, like, it it would take us the first, like, 15, 20 minutes or something before, like, we saw Abinster crash, but I guess that's kind of, because isn't this supposed to be a movie all about, like, Hal's training anyway, so I guess they would want to get right to that. Right. Huh, nice. So what? based on that five minutes, you think you're going to like it?
1: Oh my god, yes. The the animation, is it's beautiful. In just like this tiny little clip, you know, it's a tiny little window, it's not the greatest, you know, quality. It's good quality, but it's not the greatest quality. And I'm just looking at it thinking to myself, it's like, wow, this is a really beautiful looking movie, and I'm only seeing the first four minutes.
0: Is it like, because I've only seen the screen captures, and, you know, when something's designed to be viewed in motion, seeing it standing still really never does it justice. You know, whether it's, you know, a cartoon or a video game or whatever. Right. It is, like, how is the style, like, is it comparable to other DC projects we've seen? Or other, like, like obviously it's not going to look exactly like the, uh, the Bruce Timm universe. But, like, is it going to, does it have anything in common with... Like, what am, I, what, what am I trying to say here?
1: I know what you're trying to say. You're, you're, you're trying to say see if the styles are somewhat compatible, I guess?
0: Yeah, because I remember them saying when they first announced these direct dvd projects that the animation style would be, like, they would take care to make them look kind of like the comic art. And I could definitely see that in New Frontier and in the uh, the trailers for the upcoming Batman-Superman thing. That, I think that's the one that follows Green Lantern but you know is is the Green Lantern animation supposed to be like like similar to any artist style that we know I
1: don't think so I think it's definitely a lot more influenced by the Justice League animated style the the Bruce Tim universe only maybe just like slightly more chiseled
0: do they all have tiny tiny waists
1: I, I don't think so good <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's really really cool looking so yeah, if you want to watch the first four minutes, splashpage.mtv.com, and the movie itself will be out July 28th, and the time on that is 77
0: minutes long. Oh, 70s, okay. I do wish these were a little longer, though, although New Frontier did pretty well.
1: Um, another piece, not really news, but I'll throw it in here anyway. I went back and... As our listeners have heard, I've been following the Solomon Grundy story. The one issue was amazing, but I went back and picked up issues one, two, and three. So now I'm I'm totally caught up, and it's fantastic. It's really like one of the best miniseries that I've read in a really really long time.
0: Did you get the uh, Did you read the Faces of Evil issue?
1: I think I flipped through it on the stands but I never actually picked that one up. I think it was just like set up for this series.
0: I think it was. I mean I actually I ordered it but I never read it and I think I have it somewhere and I mean I could mail it to you if you want cuz I'm I've already committed to just getting the trade of this thing and that's probably going to be in it.
1: You should probably wait till you find that out. And well first definitely definitely read it first. Well, yeah, you know. Issue number 2. It features Bizarro. And the interaction between Bizarro and Solomon Grundy is just, like, it's priceless. It's absolutely priceless. Oh, dear
0: God. <laughs> uh, Grundy just talking about calendars, Bizarro saying yes when he means no. That it must be amazing.
1: It, it's definitely, like, hands down, like, you know, among the funniest, just not, not so much funny, but just most fun Issues I've read in a long time. Also,
0: now is this Bizarro like, like, like? Right now we have the version of Bizarro that's like an alien from a big square world, right? Or is he like a clone or something?
1: I have no idea. I don't think that's really necessary to know.
0: Yeah, I don't know. it's just this this character. You know, talk about confusing origins in the DC universe. This care this character has been everything from like another universe version of Superman, to a warped clone of Superman, to something like either the Joker or with mixed or mixle pidlex powers created out of nowhere, or so I I don't I don't know. But he's fun. He wears purple.
1: For a character like Bizarro, you just have to understand that he's the reverse version of Superman, and that's it.
0: I was just thinking to myself, I wonder if they'll ever bring back Batzarro. <laughs> You remember him from, uh, what was it, Superman, Batman? It was the Bizarro version of Batman. Oh, oh. Yeah, but the opposites on that character were completely ridiculous, like, like, Batman's bat symbol is right side up, so his is upside down, and Batman has eyes, so he doesn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes.
0: He, like, swings on ropes upside down or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when you said that, when you said Bat Bat-Zarro, I'm like, wait, like, batman dressed up in a zaro outfit
0: yes that's exactly which i guess technically he is all the time but
1: yeah pre- pretty much that was his inspiration
2: hmm Zurinar.
0: all right
2: <laughs>
1: um. <laughs> okay let's uh, let's take our first break and then come back with the main meat of the episode
0: mm, episode
1: <laughs> be back in a minute everybody
0: hi my name's mike Join me and my brother-in-law, Rich, as we discuss DC's comic book, The
2: Flash, on our podcast entitled, Flashback. It's located at flashbackpodcast.podbean.com. That's flashbackpodcast.podbean.com. Hey,
1: everybody. We are back, and we are ready to talk about Emerald Eclipse.
0: Yes. Now... Just just to get the creators out at the beginning, this whole thing is written by Peter J. Tomasi, penciled by Patrick Gleason, inked by Rebecca Bushman. Buckman. Bachman. I'd say Buckman, yeah. And colored by Randy G. Mayer. And I think as we get along into the later issues, they throw in an extra inker and extra colors here and there, but those four are always they are always at the foundation of it. So, Jim, you want to give us a, uh, a rundown, like, a, a synopsis of, of Emerald Eclipse overall? Okay.
1: Here are the, the major story points that happened in this whole story arc. Okay, it starts out, basically, where Mongol takes control of the planet Daxum using only his fist, his his one, like, decapitated arm starts flying around Daxum and takes out everybody, and, uh... After that he ends up taking control of the Sinestro Corps. Meanwhile over on Oa there is a mega riot on you know, over in the science cells. Uh, another interesting point that they introduce in this storyline is that Kyle and Saranic Natu are now an item, a romantically linked item. And we also find out that Saranic Natu is the daughter of Sinestro.
0: Dun, dun dun
1: Well, that's going to make for interesting uh, family reunions. So then over on Daxum again, we have Sodom Yat as Ion. He basically sacrifices himself and expels the Ion power to transform the Daxum red sun into a yellow sun so that all the daxamites gain superpowers. Once they have their powers, they fight off the whole Sinestro core so they're safe then over on Oa, the Alpha Lanterns come in, they quell the riot, they actually execute all the rioters, and then they look up, and the shell around Oa is cracking up. And Oa is defenseless for Blackest Night.
0: You know, whenever we have you summarize something, it sounds like you don't like it.
1: (laughs) You know, it's not that I don't like it. I just think that it was very easy to sum this up. It was like very, very basic story points. I like, I, well, I love the ideas that they introduced in this whole story. The ideas themselves were brilliant. The story itself, we'll we'll get into that.
0: Yeah, I think, like I, I, like I said, I reread this as a chunk. Right. Right before this. And I was amazed at how much stuff was actually going on. Like there's so many storylines that are like running parallel here. I mean you've got you've got Ash and Sarah hunting the anti monitor. You've got some progression with the star sapphires. You've got the ride on Oa. You've got the development of a relationship between Kyle and Natu. You've got you've got revelations about Sinestro's family and history. You've got the whole thing with like with Sodom yet having to g- do the one thing he never, ever wanted to do, and that's go back home. And you've got, like, a new status quo trying to set itself up for the Sinestro Corps. Like, there is a lot happening in this thing.
1: <laughs> it's funny how the way I sum it up and the way you sum it up.
0: <laughs> I know one of the reasons you enjoy, you tend to enjoy Green Lantern more than Green Lantern Corps is, like, When it's Jeff Johns and whoever happens to be drawing him at the time, there's a lot you can, like, kind of look for Easter egg-wise and pick apart and a lot more subtleties. There's, like, some stuff I took note of throughout this thing. Like, in the first issue, 33, when Miri's talking to Sarek. Yes. Tell me that's not the best piece of foreshadowing you've seen in a while, where, like, all all right, we should say, like, when she finds him, he's in, like, the anti-monitor's glove or his hand or whatever—it's just dr- broken off, drifting through space.
1: Let me stop you right there. I think it would be better, more fitting to say that he's currently in the anti-monitor's grip.
0: Oh yeah, I was gonna, and that's where I was going because the final panel in this scene, like he's sitting in the palm of the anti-monitor. He is, and it's all silhouetted, so he is literally in the grasp of a giant black hand. As as we was it last episode two episodes when when was our agent orange thing
1: that uh, was last episode
0: yeah last episode when uh when they finally find the black battery I'm not entirely sure if we're gonna see sarek alive again true enough but this is this is right here this is like like this issue specifically reminds you why Gleason is a great artist, because, like, the shot of Miri on the page where she, like, she flies in toe and crib, and she's got, like, the wings coming out of her feet, and a few pages earlier with, when, like, Kyle and Natu in that bar, it's it's just, like, really well done.
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, actually, that's a good point. Like, if you take note, like, the energy coming off of uh, Kyle and Saranac, it is very similar to the kind of energy coming off of Miri, the star sapphire.
0: And, you know, until I read this as a lump, I, I forget if it was you or everybody else in the world who had been saying, like, oh, Stranach is probably going to go violet. And I was like, no, that's stupid. But after reading this all together, I can see it. Because, I mean, she literally is, like, like, she's basically skirting the edges of choosing love over... The Green Lantern Corps, anyway. Right. Plus, in issue 36, on page 5, it's during uh, the flashback about, you know, her childhood. It's the one where, like, with Sinestro in his classic costume standing over her while she's sleeping. Look at her bracelet.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, does that not look like the Star Sapphire emblem?
1: Oh, wow. That's an amazing catch. Oh, wow, and... Look right on the opposite page. Actually, no, look at every page. Look what color she's wearing.
0: Oh, she's wearing violet, isn't she?
1: <laughs> she's wearing violet every in everything.
0: As long as we're right there. Like the one thing I really love about this backstory, like it, like issue thirty six, it's it's Sinestro, he's come to see her. He tells her that, that he's her father. And he just gives her gives her a recap of like what their life was before they you know, before they gave her up to be raised by someone else, or before her mother did, and like that whole, like that scene at the bottom of the page where he's just flying with her, she's like what, like one year old or something. He's just holding her hand, and while she's like up there flying, like that's that's awesome. Like that, like this whole se- sequence overall, but that panel in particular, it paints Sinestro in such a good light. Like you start to really get this guy, you know it's, it's, it's really, what impressed me most about this plot line going on in this story is that, you know, there's absolutely nothing insincere about anything that came out of Sinestro's mouth. He was being honest with her the whole way through, and he, none of it came off as like super villainy. Like this, this is a guy who cares about his daughter, and this is a guy who's like giving her just like the straight truth about stuff. Because he thinks she needs to know it, she deserves to know it, and it's going to be what she's going to have to rely on to survive eventually, because the freaking red lanterns are coming. Uh, after you know, after giving all that praise, <laughs> I have to say the one of the biggest plot holes in this whole story, one of two, and we'll get to the second one later, we find out that like that face tattoo, the two triangles under her eye that she's had since the character was created, it's really like like this secret family coat of arms or whatever that Sinestro just burned onto her when he found her as a teenager.
1: Right, as a tracking device.
0: Yeah. Would she not... I mean, I she, she didn't question where the freaking face tattoo that she didn't have when she went to bed the night before came from. <laughs> I, was,
1: I You know, I hadn't even thought of that.
0: I didn't either until I read over it this last time, and I'm like, well, if he found her when she was still, like, like a three-year-old or something, and he put it on her then, then she would never remember a time when she didn't have it. But, I mean, I don't know how old she's supposed to be when he finds her, but she's clearly, like, like in her teens. So, like, that kind of thing, like, that would be noticeable. You would freak out about that. And I have to think that would come up before now. <laughs>
1: You know, the thing is, though, this was being told from Sinestro's point of view. So, like, he, it's not like he could follow up to see how she was going to react. So this whole flashback is basically through his mind. So we're definitely not going to, you know, see, like, oh, well, how did she react to getting the tattoo? But, like, that, that, that is something that they could address, like, in a future, you know, Issue or whatever like you know it's like so that's where that tattoo came from i had wondered for you know years how i just woke up one morning and had that tattoo
0: oh yeah i'm just surprised like like no mention of it has ever come up in the series up to this point like like because it's right there on her face so it's like it's like one of the first things your eyes are drawn to when you see her head so it's like i, I would i would think that somebody would have made mention of it and she would have been like I I don't know, I I expected finding out this, that, like, it would have come up already that it just kind of showed up on her one day.
1: Well, I can definitely explain that away, like, instantly. You're talking about a core, a core made up of 7,200 different species. I really don't think that they're going to look at her face and be like, oh, she's got triangles, where did they come from? (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, one of them's a lizard. (laughs) <laughs> they'll they'll look at the lizard face and be like, oh, you have an extra wrinkle below your eye. You know, nobody's going to pick up on that unless you're from his race.
0: I mean, it would have completely taken the punch out of this whole section of the story, but I would have loved it if they popped out of the flashback and she said something like, that's where this came from? My parents grounded me for, like, a freaking month. <laughs> I do like the implication that, like, you know, I'm, the way I read this was, um, it was the re- the realization of what being a father means that kind of helped motivate Sinestro to try harder to get his planet on track the way he thought it should. So like like he wasn't just like being a dictator to be like an ass. He was try like he was trying to make his world a safer place for his family too.
2: Right.
0: And like that's I, I, that's not his whole motivation, but it's a that it's another layer to it. Right. Um. Before we move on from this scene, and this is probably nothing, but I wanted to bounce this off you. Every single time they show Saranic's mother, they hide her face. Do you think there's a reason for that? I mean, when when they, she just gave birth, she's still looking away from the from the reader. When She's sitting there with her baby watching TV. She's facing away from the reader. When they're arguing, she's off-panel completely except for her hands. When she gives up Saranac for adoption, she's hiding her face in her hands. I mean, my first thought was, are we supposed to know who this is and they just don't want to tell us? Then the only other member of this race we really know who's female is Kat Matouille. And would they really go there?
1: Well, she was a lot younger. She was always a lot younger
0: than, than Sinestro. Well, look at Aresia in hell.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, like, the other thing to that is, if you look at this, like, you know, look at her hairstyle, basically. It's like, it's very curly, very, you know, flowy hair, almost like Fatality. Um, What skin tone is Fatality?
0: She's like, she's like African American from space.
1: Okay, so she's not red skinned either?
0: No, it's it's not fatality. I mean, and then, and then, I mean like once they come out of the flashback, what's the first? What's one of the first things Sinestro does? He shows her a big honking construct of of Katmatui.
1: Right, but look at the uh, look at the hairstyle. Like Katmatui always always had like that same hairstyle. She would have, uh, you know, like here's the thing. I I, I see I see your your logic. It makes a lot of sense to me in that respect, but the fact that she was so much younger, and you know she was with John Stewart, and the age that she would have to be in order, you know, to have fathered Saranak N'atu and still have, and have gone with Sinestro—I don't know—it's it's a possibility, but age-wise, they're gonna have to do some retconning to make that work for me.
0: Maybe, because I mean, the hair thing, I could see them, I could see them setting up something like, because after what all Sinestro did, I could see her like trying to like, like move away from her home and like change her appearance to try and like disassociate from her past, but like not being able to get away from it, especially once the ring came to her. And it puts like, a, it would put like a whole new light on like her time with the Green Lantern Corps. Let's see. I guess rounding out this plot line. The the fact that Natu and Kyle are a thing now, it, it it really it really highlights everything that Jeff Johns has done so far to make Sinestro just freaking hate Kyle Rayner.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Because I mean I mean like every time those two are together like Sinestro and Kyle like like you get the impression that regardless of his history with anyone else Sinestro hates Kyle more than he hates most people.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, it, it seems like with with Hal Jordan, like, he hates Hal Jordan, but, like, he also has, like, a bit of respect for Hal. Yeah. Um, If only that, in that how powerful he is as a warrior. But with Kyle Rayner, he just, like, you know, it goes way beyond that. And he, like you said, he just absolutely hates him.
0: <laughs> I, r- I would really like... If the next time Kyle and Sinestro are on panel together, like Kyle just like like calls him dad or something, <laughs> just to piss him off.
1: What I think will be interesting, actually, and to go back to the Katma Tui as the possible mother of Cyranic Natu, if that's the case, if that's the way that they go, and looking at all the other foreshadowing. There's a possibility that Ceranik Natu may end up in as a Star Sapphire,
0: right? Yes.
1: Well, her mother then would have been killed by a Star Sapphire.
0: Oh. Oh God, that and and if you think about like like the extra John Stewart stuff, that'll be stirred up if it comes to light that you know John Stewart's ex-wife is also Sinestro's ex-wife. Like there there's just so much like like that adding in that one detail would bring together so many loose lines of like soap opera ness. Like I can't imagine they won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Awesome. All right. So what uh the the one cool thing with this whole story is like it doesn't even really matter what order we talk about the plot lines in. It's like do you want to do you want to talk about the riot? Do you want to talk about Daxum? Uh, let's talk about Daxum next. Okay, I was surprised how much I like this storyline. I mean, when when Sodom Yat's mother crashed in the se- into the sector house, I was afraid it was gonna be like, like your stereotypical like, oh, I I hate them for what they did, but they're my family, so I have to do something, I have to help them. <laughs> no, no, he just he just flipped out on her, and it was amazing, like like. Sometimes you just like to see bad people get what's coming to them, and that's what the warm, fuzzy feeling I got from the exchange between Sodom Yet and his mom.
1: <laughs> totally agree. And one thing that I'll add here, uh, to Patrick Gleason's credit, the art style that he uses to draw the, the Daxamites, like before they uh, before they agree to help him, they they look like ugly people. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean?
0: It really fits their personalities, too.
1: Yes. And one thing that I'll also add, the the villain that they lock down, the Sinestro Corps member that they lock down, who Sodom Yad's mother ends up crashing into and killing, his name is Emek Sub.
0: Emek Sub.
1: Yes. Now, what I have a habit of doing is when I see one of these weird names for a, a Lantern Corps member or, you know, a villain or whatever, I say it backwards. This guy's name backwards is Busemi.
0: Isn't that, that's uh that's an artist, right? Sal Busemi or
1: No, that's 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 Sal Busema. Busemi is like Steve Busemi. Steve Busemi
0: um Oh, is that an actor?
1: Okay, he was in Fargo.
0: That's kinda like how like like we have Issamat, that's just Tomasi spelled backward. <laughs>
1: I don't know if like, maybe the character's personality was somewhat based off of Steve Buscemi.
0: Or maybe in like, one of his roles or something, cause I'd, I don't know actors. Man, talking about Gleason's art, like, the, the, like, Sodom gets this smirk on his face when, like, as he forces his mom to, cause alright, all right, all right, well, we should say like, the Sinestro Corps is overrun, overrun Daxum. There's absolutely nothing they can do about it. She knows that like, She's pretty much at his mercy, like, she has to do whatever he says, or he might not go and help. So, like, he has her yelling, you know, thank you for saving my miserable life at this construct of the alien friend he had that they murdered and stuffed and put into a museum as a kid. And, like, in the panel where she's saying it, he has this smirk on his face, like, like, yeah, take that bitch. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Yeah, like, I'm so glad they played it this way. Like, he just, he's he's made the decision going in, like, alright, even if I go and help, I'm not taking any of their crap, I'm not listening to a word they say, they're listening to me to die because they're not doing what I told them to. I don't know about you, but when I first read um Sodom's father's speech to his people in the caves, you know, when they're all, like, cornered, they're all, well, actually, let me find it, where is it? Um, it's in issue 35. That's too long to read. But he's giving his people this pep talk for three panels about, like, the time has come, we can't let them claim us. They're, like, we're going to show them that like, we're going to show them that, like, they don't have our spirits and we're they're going to see, like, what, what we're all about and whatever. And you think, okay, he's, he's rallying them to, like, go and fight back. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out he was he was talking them into like jumping off the cliff and committing suicide so the Snatcher corps couldn't like get to them with their icky alien hands.
1: Yeah, I thought that was pretty stupid.
0: Yeah, although it was it was really well written though because like until you know by turning the page exactly what they're doing, you're like, well obviously it's a call to arms. But then <laughs> yeah. like you see you turn the page and you go back you read it again and you're like. Oh that is exactly what he was talking about wasn't it
1: So how about that giant the giant snake around the planet Daxum
0: that was awesome I did like that I mean it's no glomulus, but is it is it was really cool like I love it when they play with the the, con, the concept of aliens like this like you you're not limited to any size or shape or species or whatever like like this is like I've never read it but there's apparently some giant serpent in Thor that's similar to this thing, and it's like, it's like a snake that can wrap itself around an entire planet a couple times, it's so big, that's what we have here, and it's wearing a yellow ring.
1: <laughs> as if the giant, yeah, as if the giant snake itself wasn't bad enough.
0: Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> now, how about the, um, the uh, Archilo Mongol fight?
1: I, I like the fight. I mean, yeah, like, I, I didn't have a problem with really anything, you know, too much conceptually. Um, it was a good fight. It was, you know, a nice battle.
0: I actually kind of wanted to see Arkillo win. <laughs> I love Mongol. He's like, he was my first real DC villain. But I, I love seeing him used, but like, I, I don't really see him as gelling with the whole Sinestro Core thing. I don't know what do you think about that.
1: I I think it was basically like a foregone con- conclusion that he was gonna take over the core.
0: Well, he is yellow.
1: Well, yeah, him, yeah, that that definitely. But between his father and himself, they're just like controlling people, so they would want to control the whole core. Natural born megalomaniacs.
0: That's true. Now, so all right, so Sodom, yeah, and Oratio showed up. They've they're trying to rally the troops and whatever, but like, Sodom decides he has to take out Mongol, and they have a they, they have a cool fight. It looks really good. The Aron is really nice. Definitely. Um, all right, Well, I guess two things here. The first is like something I really liked, and the other was something that not so much. First, I like here. All right, in past incarnations, Ion has always been something like you have the power, you have it all the time, just decide to use it already. Right. With, like, this here, I think this is the first time we've ever actually seen this depicted this way. Using the ion power is more like launching a nuke at another country. Like, it requires executive permission. It can't just be fired off like any normal, quote-unquote, weapon or power. Everybody in authority has to turn their keys at the same time, you know? Which, for me, that kind of makes it seem like a bigger deal.
1: My thoughts on that are... The only reason he needed permission was because he was also wearing
0: the Green Lantern ring. That's a good, th- that's a good thought. I didn't think of that.
1: Because anybody that's had the ion powers in the past has not worn a ring and that's how they were able to use them so freely. And with this, you know, it's basically like the ion powers are in you. You just have to access them. But Sadam Yat, he has the ring. He needs the ring to stay alive. So he's got to keep the ring on. Now, all of a sudden, if he wants to use the power, he has to, you know, try and work around the, you know, the circumvention, you know, circumvent the ring, which is telling him that now he can't use it because it's being interfered with by Scar.
0: Yeah, now let's talk about that, because that was the thing that, that didn't quite gel with me. Okay. I mean, not the, not the interference from Scar. That worked perfectly. All right, so... At, at what they tell us here, because Sotomayor has lead poisoning, the ring is the only thing keeping him alive. So they say here, if he removes the ring, he would get the ion power, but he'd die shortly after from lead poisoning, because that's only kept at bay by the ring. But he's also told that like a, a sudden rush of, of energy might like trigger the ion power like as a reflex or something. Right. So he lets Mongol shoot him to bypass having to take off the ring, gets the ion power, flies to the sun to change it yellow to give his people superpowers, Mm -hmm. but then ditches the ring anyway. Why didn't he just take off the damn ring in the first place and not get shot?
1: Um, I don't know. What issue was that?
0: That is 36. It's like halfway through or something. It's it's past the halfway point. As he's flying off-world the the ring tells him, like, you know, ion power is at, what, 95% and falling. Mm-hmm. That's the only reading it gives, so we don't know how fast it falls. So you could, I guess, make the case that, well, if he took off the ring he would, he might keel over before he gets to the sun. But... Right.
1: I think, I, uh, I think that might be what it is.
0: Yeah. I mean, I read that for the first time through, and I'm like, well, why couldn't he just, wait, why did he have to do that? I don't I don't get because he would have gotten it anyway.
1: I, well, I think the other thing is the reason he survived is because of his Daxamite powers.
0: Oh yeah, I mean once he gets into the sun and turns it yellow, I mean, I mean people are saying like, what if Sodomyat dies in this story? And what? No, he's not going to die. He's he's in there. He's turning the sun yellow, and he's inside it. And a yellow sun is what gives Daxamite superpowers. So he's going to be fine. You think? Oh yeah, I think he's going to come out of this like better than ever I, I mean just in terms of straight up survival there are too many ways that he could come out of it on like relatively unharmed I mean I mean if you wanted to go the route of well being inside a yellow sun charged up his body so it he didn't die in there that would be reasonable if you wanted to argue that well he's got the freaking ion force inside him and that kept him alive until he could get out that I buy that too I mean, hell, if you wanted to have, like, freaking Aresia fly up to the sun, throw a rope in, and pull him out, that would that would be, like, the least likely, but that would work for me, too.
1: <laughs> well, no, because if... You can't say that the ion powers are going to keep him alive, because he had to wear the ring, even though he had the ion powers to keep him alive. You know, like, if if it was always just a matter of flying into a yellow sun, you know, when when they got lead poisoning or whatever, then, you know, like, mon L from, uh... was it, Legionnaires?
0: Yeah, Legion of Superheroes.
1: Yeah, Yeah, Legion of Superheroes. He'd never have any problems. Like, as soon as he got lead poisoning, okay, fly him to a yellow sun, pop him out of the, uh, Phantom Zone, and he's fine again. I, I think one of, like, a couple of possibilities is gonna happen. Like, if he is going to be healed by the yellow sun... Then he's going to have to be in there for a while for it to, like, you know, to cleanse him. In which case, they'll just keep him off the table for a while. Like, that was the point of this, like, to get rid of Ion for a while.
0: Which I think is definitely the case because, I mean, he does not come out by the end of this story arc. I think, like, that, like, they're saving him for, like, like, once things get a lot more bleak in Black as a the then he's going to pop out and he's going to be all... I mean, how this might be what turns him from, like, the state we know to what he is in, like, the Alan Moore story. Who knows?
1: That's true, and it could be that he has to stay in the sun for, like, years and years and years so that we never we don't see him again for, like, you know, a while.
0: No, I don't think that's going to happen.
1: You don't think, like, how how long do you think it's going to be that he's off the playing field?
0: I could see him being off the field for, at most, till we get towards the end of Blackest Night. Because I think the entities themselves are going to be important to Blackest night, so I cannot see ion just being gone. I think he, I think like this little like cosmic incubation period for him, if you want to call it that, it's going to it's going to change him somehow. And whether it like burns out something that's inside of him or it supercharges him to the point that you know the lead poisoning isn't a factor for him anymore, or at least the lead poison that he already contracted. Or hell, like, he could... Because, I mean, the whole thing with Ion, for me, is that the only reason Ion in him hasn't cured his lead poisoning is because Ion is strictly support. Like, it's not going to do anything for you by itself. So, like, if he knew how to make it cure his lead poisoning, it would. So maybe something's going to get him to that point.
1: Or or he will have died in this sun... And we'll see him show up during Blackest Night, and then the Ion Force will just be floating around somewhere.
0: No, there, he will not be a Black Lantern. No way.
1: <laughs> you seem pretty confident on that one.
0: I'm, I'm very sure. Like, I have not, I have not read any spoilers or any shit like that. I, I am just very sure. I was looking at the, the title page for 37, where it's just him in the sun, and like, like you can't look at that and tell me like he's going to he's going to be dead or he's going to like like this looks like him transforming. Okay. It's also the, like the first time that swishy photoshop energy effect has not bothered me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the other thing with this Daxam story line, story thread, the way that they gained the use of their powers, like they were able to control their powers, like, so fast. What, what did you think of that?
0: I thought that was kind of odd. Well, Let me say first, I thought it was weird that... I mean, should they have been able to gain superpowers from the yellow sun when they were underground away from the sun? Oh my god, were they? Yeah, they were in that freaking cave. And Aresia was, like, looking up through a hole... And then all of a sudden heat vision just exploded through the ground.
1: Oh, that's odd.
0: Yeah. But then I saw the baby with heat vision and it all got better. Oh god. Yeah, that's in my notes as baby with heat vision equals yay. <laughs> um
1: well, no, there there are some windows in this this thing that's piping in light from above. All right. But still, you know, even even regardless of that that issue You're you're looking over at Superman World of New Krypton where you have a planet full of Kryptonians who they were totally into, you know, their powers. Like they, they wanted to find out everything about their powers and it took them a while to figure it out. Like Superman went to the planet of New Krypton to help train people how to use their powers. So you have a Kryptonian showing them how to use Kryptonian powers that they gained, like, you know, weeks and weeks ago, and they're still, like, you know, figuring out how to, how to utilize them and how to fly straight, and these people, you know, they're Daxamites, they're completely against aliens and everything like that, so they've never even, like, looked into any of this other junk, I can't even imagine that they would have heard of Superman to know that, you know, how how do they even know about these powers, because, you know, Sodom Yad has been away for his entire life. The only time that they would have ever known is by, like, seeing Sodom Yad do that. And even then, it's kind of questionable because he had a Green Lantern ring.
0: I mean, the, def- the impression I definitely got from it was as soon as the sunlight hit them, their powers just kind of started firing off automatically. Yeah, and then five minutes
1: later, they were able to use them.
0: I- I'll, tell- I'll say one thing for it, though. Like, I'm not sure if I really the Daxam population to have powers. I mean, with a few notable exceptions, this is basically an entire race that hates and fears everyone else in the universe. And you just made them one of the most powerful populations in the universe.
1: Well, yes, but I think the fact that they don't want to have anything to do with anything else, anybody else, it may make it so that they close their borders, whatever, and now not only do they not want to deal with anybody else, but now nobody's going to go there for fear of getting their butt kicked by these superpowered
0: people. True. I guess the only other thing I have to say about the... Well, two things I have to say about it, but... But what's... Like, what was up with, like... Alright, so Aresia's giving them the pep talk, telling them, like, don't go off and just kill yourselves. This won't be that easy. I'll help you. We'll train. We'll use guerrilla warfare, you know this world, we'll use that, it'll be great. Right. And then they fly off, and she screams, to save Daxum, we may have to kill it. Yeah. Where the hell did that come from?
1: (laughs) You know, I don't know, and what's really weird is that I thought that the point of her saying that was like, it's kind of like forced foreshadowing that they were going to end up having to destroy Daxum just to get everybody off of it. But then they didn't end up doing that.
0: Yeah, and that is... That is the biggest problem I have with the Daxam story, is that we didn't get any sort of resolution whatsoever. And, like, obviously this is all continuing into, you know... This is going to be continuing in Green Lantern Corps. It's going to be probably involved in Blackest Night in some form. But, like, I was really disappointed, because the final issue of this story arc... There is exactly two pages devoted to Daxum, and it's just the middle of a, of this general fight, and that's all you get to close it out. Right. And that actually surprised me, and we can, I guess we can use this as a segue into talking about the riot, but up until now, like, Emerald Eclipse has basically been the story of what's happening on Daxum, with every now and then, they'll give you these vignettes where you check in on what's happening on Oa. And the final issue, it was like almost a hundred percent Oa with a two-page spread just reminding you that hey, there's fights going on on Daxam. It was like completely reversed for the final issue. It was so weird.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could see that, but by the same token, I think the title Emerald Eclipse, while it does have meaning, you know, meaning and significance to what's going on at Daxum, I think more so it's like, foreshadowing the fact that Blackest Night is coming. Like, you know, the bla- you have an emerald eclipse, and once the eclipse occurs, then you can't see the sun anymore, and that's when Blackest Night
0: happens. It's kind of ironic that, like, the turning point of the Daxam story was, it was basically brightening up the world <laughs> right before Blackest Night.
1: And just one last thing with that, just one last thing with the Daxam sun, if at some point they do want to get rid of the superpowers, then you can just have a blue ring fly through it and turn it blue.
0: Oh, that's true. Although, wait, I think actually in, um, in what was it? I think in Action Comics, the Bizarro story, did you read that? It was the one that Eric Powell drew, the guy who does Goon.
1: No, no, I didn't read that.
0: Where uh, Superman goes to the Bizarro world and it's orbiting a blue star and, like, it just gives him an extra power. Really? He gets, like, Superman vision, where, like, he shoots you with eye beams that give you Superman powers.
1: Oh my god.
0: Yeah, it was weird. can Kent beat up some zombies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. I'm going to have to find that now.
0: Yeah, it's great. I think it's, it's like, three issues. It's really cool. It's got that... The one the one cover is that really awesome image of um the Bizarro Justice League. And it's got like the, uh. The yellow candle. With, yeah, he, sh- he has the Sinestro Core emblem on and he's shooting himself in the face with his own ring. It's great.
1: <laughs> I might have actually picked that up just for the cover.
0: I want a poster of that thing. So bad.
1: <laughs> okay, so on to the riot?
0: Let's, yes, let's talk riot. Okay. So, I guess the best place to start talking about the riot is what caused it. And that is Vice. The Red Lantern, who looks like a Vice. <laughs> now this was the other I mentioned before another plot hole in the story that was kind of big. This was the one and this I know this came up on the forums. You want to talk about that cuz I've been talking a lot.
1: Yeah, I think I actually I was the one that brought it up on the forums. Oh, were you? I think so. Like okay, so you have Vice. He's a Red Lantern. Now you have the Red Lantern in lockdown and You have to put a, you know, like a shield over his mouth so he doesn't throw up the the red, you know, rage vomit that melts everything like acid. Yes. There's just one problem with that. He doesn't have a red ring on anymore. And when you take the red ring off of a red lantern, they die. Vice is clearly very much alive right now. And, you know, and, like, this isn't just, like, something... They've said in plenty of interviews that the ring replaces your heart and it flushes out your blood with this rage, you know, this rage chemical, whatever. But when Hal Jordan was trying to save Lara from the Red Lantern Corps, he couldn't just take the ring off because that would kill her.
0: Yeah, and his ring even prompted him saying, like, like, if you remove this, she will die. So it's not like, like, guy and Kilowog wouldn't have known.
2: Right.
1: So, I I have no idea, like, what the reasoning behind that whole thing, like, how they decided that they were going to do that. I mean, aside from just, like, okay, we're going to lock up a Red Lantern, and, um, you know, his red venom is going to start eating away at everything.
0: Do you think it was, like, an art mistake? Like, his ring was supposed to be there? Because we did see that in the, uh, the Rage of the Red Lantern story.
1: I don't think so, because how could you lock somebody down and give them their ring they would they they get out of it no, like you know no problem because the red burns away the green
0: i almost wonder if they really needed a red lantern to kick this thing off cuz i mean i the scar commands all of the captured yellow rings to break free from containment and find their owners so like that right there like letting out the Sinestro Corps would have achieved the same effect, except like Vaz might not have gotten burned. But I don't know. Do you? I mean, do you think this really needed Vice?
1: I think it would have made more sense without him.
0: Although I, it was kind of worth it just for the the quote from Guy Gardner, which I don't remember who it is, but it's in somebody's sig on signature on the forum. Uh, you gotta be kidding me. Green, yellow, red, blue, violet. It's like Walt Disney threw up. What the hell is going on out there? Which is, like, a perfect way to sum up the books for the last year. <laughs> so, uh, on the topic of the Red Rings, I got a little confused here. Like, what what does the Red Ring do to Green Rings anyway? Like, does it drain them? It corrupts them? It depletes them? It... The
1: What the Red does, it, it corrupts the ring so... You can't use the ring anymore, and even if the red flame, whatever, doesn't get to the ring, it'll still melt away your constructs.
0: The red ring's power basically attacks the the physical ring while it's breaking down the power that's in the ring. Right. Okay, because I was like, because it, it seemed like it kept throwing up these contradictory updates. I'm like, wait, what? What's it actually doing? I don't get it. But that makes more sense. I guess the other question
1: is, uh like, with Vice, where did they keep his ring? Because
0: you never see that. And did he escape during the Rise? Because I don't think after that first ish, I don't think we saw him again once the Rise got started. Actually, we saw him in 36, but for, like, a panel. But I don't think he's there when they capture everybody again. So he probably just, like, flew away.
1: He just flew away without the use of a ring?
0: Yeah, you know, she rode vomit. I don't know. <laughs> Kids, if there's one lesson you can learn from from Red Lanterns, it's that making yourself throw up is the answer to all life's problems. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm looking at 36 now. Okay. It's right after the uh Sinestro NA2 scene is over. That four-page... Is it four pages? Yeah, that four-page, you know, overview of what's happening on Oa, where you see, like... Visually, it's spectacular. Like you get, you see like dozens of Green Lanterns returning to Oa to help out. You see like panel after panel of this like melee going on. You see people on both sides dropping. You see characters we haven't seen for a long time. It's a fath. You see like Red Lanterns eating people. You see just everything going on.
1: You see Nero.
0: Yeah, Alexander Nero. I really liked this. But I really feel like the narration just brought it down. Like, if this had just been four pages of just art with, like, maybe some sound effects, like, it would have read a lot better. Because it was, like, it was, like, almost like it was overstating it and it got, like, a little cheesy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I can agree with that. You get the Spider Guild here also.
0: The Spider Guild's in there? Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah, okay.
1: Children of the White Lobe.
0: Yeah, it's it's and some of these are players that, because I mean talking about like the Blackest Night prophecy, it seemed to me like, almost everything the the prophecy detailed happened already with Sinestral War, but like the Children of the White Lobe were involved in the prophecy, and now they're like if they got out, they're back on the on the board again. So.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they were just flying off.
0: I can't remember what issue it was. The one where like they first get word of the breakout and they're all flying into the Science Cell. Yeah, thirty yeah, five. Thirty five. Like, that... I think I even said that this when we saw the previews on Nuzarama. Like, the, that, like, three, four pages... Like, talk about building up, like, excitement for the fight. You got, like, Guy and Kyle just zooming across Oa, rallying everyone in sight. And, like, every panel that, that comes after has, like, another handful of lanterns in it. And they're just, like... they're ma- They're forming plans as they go. They're coordinating the troops... Like Killlog's like dividing their forces, so like you know if if he's making your ring pulse, you go with him. If not, then you go with the rest. And they're entering from two different spots, and then it just explodes in this like two-page spread that's just like awesome with like Vice at the very middle, and they're all like they just come in guns a blazing. It's it's awesome looking.
1: Okay, here's a problem. <laughs> Um, that two-page spread where they're busting in, and Vice is, like, you know, right there, dead center, right?
0: Is he wearing his ring? What?
1: No, no, he's not, he's not. That's not what I was gonna say. Um, if you're looking at this page, go to the right bottom corner.
0: Oh, she's an alpha lantern, isn't she? Yes, she is. Uh, well.
1: I guess not today?
0: Well, you know, you can call him sick. If Scar could call in sick from going to Vega. Yeah, I guess so. That's another thing we should point out. Like this is a point where like the series kind of gel together pretty well because like I-, I didn't get it at the time, but like the entire reason this riot is a- is able to happen and play out the way it does is because Scar got the guardians to leave Oa. Yeah. <laughs> like she was the only one still there. Yeah. That's um, that was awesome.
1: <laughs> oh, what you go like uh, I was looking In uh, issue 38, the final part, um, Lantern Vaz asks Kyle Rayner, Rayner, the Red Lantern, is he? And Kyle Rayner responds, under lock and key, Vaz, rest easy.
0: I kind of want to think that they were just saying that to make him feel better. Because, I mean, if you're Vaz and you're lying there like almost dead because you failed to keep this one specific guy from getting out, like what can tell you? Oh yeah, he uh he kind of got away. Yeah, good job being our jailer.
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I'm I'm inclined to believe that he actually did he, that. He is under lock and key, but like that does make me wonder. Like okay, well how come he's gonna be making it out alive when everybody else is getting executed?
0: True. Now let's before we talk about the final issue, which could be a discussion in itself. The coming of the Alpha Lanterns. Okay. Now, unlike every other time we've seen the Alpha Lanterns, I thought this was going to be really cool. Because, like, they show up, and they're shrouded in shadow, they're lit really specifically, so they look all badass and powerful, and you're like, oh, man, with all the crap that's going on, they're gonna, like, they're gonna tear some shit up, right? And and I thought to myself, it makes perfect sense to me that, okay, you got the Alpha Lanterns who have no emotion. Mm-hmm. You have Ola just under siege. You have lethal forces perfectly okay. And then they all, like, on the last panel of this page where they show up, they're, like, gearing up to it looks like fire. So I'm like, I was expecting some kind of, like, scorched earth kind of approach to this where they're just gonna, like, like try to freaking incinerate everybody that busts out of the science cells. <laughs> and then you turn the page, and their big... Their, like, great idea that only Alpha Lanterns could come up with and coordinate was, hey, let's put everybody in a big green bubble. Yeah. <laughs> like, what about this needed the Alpha Lanterns? I don't understand.
1: Yeah. Yeah, in actuality, it wasn't even the Alpha Lanterns that were building the bubble. Kyle Rayner, yeah, Kyle Rayner yells out, Phalanx directive initiated.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, it looked like everybody was doing it, so it's, it's, it didn't look like they needed the Alpha Lanterns for it at all. <laughs> the freaking the two villains that are helping them out down there are contributing more to this than the Alpha Lanterns are. Pretty much. And I, I was a little disappointed in that. Although they kinda, they kind of they kind of looped back around and came me closer to what I was thinking in the final issue. But
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, before we get to that issue, though, we have uh, was it Lissa Drac?
0: She had that yellow book. Well, she had the phone book in in the Sinestro Corps War. <laughs> Uh, She gets, like... Like... Well, I guess not sucked in, but... She finds Scar's Book of the Black, and... Scar just... Just just forces her into the pages. She's trapped there now.
1: (laughs) That's interesting. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that later on.
0: Something I'm really kind of... I mean, it's kind of a moot point now, but I'm glad they did it. Like, on the like, one, to the third to last page of issue 37, you got that kind of over-the-shoulder or over-the-head view of the book while Scar's looking at it. And it's got that kind of cross-section of Oa. And I remember ever since that Armored Shell debuted in Green Lantern Corps, people have been trying to figure out, like, how, what exactly is the structure of this? Where's, like, which part is the planet in? What are the other parts used for? And, like, and they never bothered explaining it. They just show these miscellaneous spaces. Right. But now we can, like, say for certain, like, all right, this is the planet. This is the area around it. This, what looks like sky was really the inside of the shell. And, like, things like, you know, the science cells or the offices or whatever were probably in, like, these extensions or something. Uh, that I, I would like to get... Even if this armor shell never comes back, I would like to get some kind of, like, diagram of it.
1: I don't know that it was necessarily even, like, you know, planned out. Like you said, like, they never really, you know, showed too much of it. It's basically everything that they ever showed was on Oa. So, and I I think you were the one that told me, like, it's almost like the entire point of them building this entire shell was just so that it would have significance when they take it away, to make it seem like, oh, is now weak and open to threats.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it gets me. Like, this panel right here is the first time that they say flat out that the planet is the central orb in the armor. Like, for all we knew, it could have been in one of the extension parts and the middle was a decoy or something. <laughs> but, uh... I never thought that. I... I, I don't know. <laughs> I like the fact that like, completely completely moving away from my wrongness. <laughs> like, the next, the very next panel after that, you know, going back to the whole, like, like, lantern symbols hidden everywhere theme that's all over the place. Look at Scar when she closes the book. She has her arms out, and there's energy just kind of coming up off of her, and it's the black hand emblem. Like, like the, there's, like, five points of energy coming up from her, and it makes, like, the black hand and like her body kind of makes a triangle. Mhm. I see that. All right, so let's talk about 38. Let's Yeah, first like the the title two-page spread is beautiful of just the debris as it like breaks off of Ola. Like I've never thought a debris field looked particularly like awesome before, but this looks great. And here they actually I really like this justification of the shell. What they say like it's it's it was basically there as like a, not just as protection for Oa but as a symbol to the rest of the universe that like you know you look up up at the sky and you see a giant Green Lantern so like you're you're reminded like okay like like the universe is reminded that the core is out there mm. so it, to help like make them feel a little safe and like because I always I have never liked Oa having this sh- this armor. I think the only time it was ever drawn to look good was in that full-page shot in the, the uh, Sinestro Corps special, where it's just in the bomb corner and the sun's over there, and it just looks really good there. But, like, if they had given us this idea or introduced this concept earlier, I would probably have been cool with it. Instead, they hit us with it for the very first time after they take it away.
1: <laughs> I think it's odd that now... Natu is trying to get the tattoo off in this issue. She can't do it at all, and then she basically, basically is like, okay, I'll try again later, or something.
0: Yeah, you'd think she would, like, be a little more... Because, I mean, if you're going to go to the trouble performing laser surgery on yourself in your own home, you gotta think you c- kind of want it off immediately. <laughs> so, but, I mean, I iPod... thought... I don't know. I'm I'm not sure how I feel about the whole, like, relationship with Sinestro. Because, like, on the one hand, I want her to be able to... Like, I want him to be able to find her. Because, like, like I, I've said before, I think Sinestro is going to be... He's going to be, in all of this, one of the the go-to characters you can always count on. <clears throat> like, he's going to be one of the heavy hitters that you can... That you want to have on your side. And I like this character, so I want her to be able to like be found by him if she's not going to reach out to him. Right. But at the same time I was kinda I was kinda hoping like she would get rid of it.
1: <laughs> there's just no pleasing
0: you. Yeah, no, there's not, because then then from a design element, I I like the fact that it's there. I want her to keep it. <laughs> I'm very complicated. Now I was gonna say I am really looking forward though to the day when she has to like call him in or make the choice to go and help him herself.
1: Now this uh This image of the Guardians returning to Oa. And you see, like, certain Green Lanterns flying around them. There's two in particular that you don't see.
0: Uh, Howling, John? Right. I don't know, what do you think that means? Well, I mean, aren't they on Earth by now, or?
1: Well, did they actually show where they went after the Orange Lantern storyline?
0: No, I guess not.
1: So I guess they headed back to Earth?
0: Well, I'm trying to think, because at the end of um, at the end of Agent Orange, the Guardian said something to the effect of like, "All right, you're going to to help us round up all the criminals left in Vega and then return to your sectors." So, you know, they probably just Hal and John probably just like left after that. Because I mean, I don't know how many lanterns they took with them to Vega, but I thought it was more than this. Like, I don't think they were down by just two. Oh, hey, Stell's still built. Cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like how they still have him in his new uh, design.
0: Yeah. They'll probably stick with that for a while.
1: Hopefully. I like it.
0: I'll be totally, totally into seeing the clunky robot still come back. You would. I, I am. <laughs> I, I want the Danger Will Robinson style back, damn it. <laughs> um. All right, so the executions. Yes. What do we think of that?
1: Well... They kill Alexander Nero here. And, like, a second after I read that, I said to myself, Well, I guess he'll be coming back as a Black Lantern.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm actually glad they did that because, like, his character needs something. Because he's been, like, like, they need to do something new with his character. Because it's been the same thing ever since he was created. So... Oh. You know, maybe this will make him interesting again, because <laughs> back when he was he was first introduced, he had the novelty of being the only bad guy around with a yellow ring, and now that's kind of gone. So he needs to stand out somehow.
1: Right. Well, Mike, my, my thought is though, is. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not going to say this thought until Blackest Night starts up again.
0: Alrighty. Um. The moment of the issue for me was guy just hauling off and kicking. What was it? What was his name Chaslin? The big crystal ball alpha lantern.
1: Oh, was that what he did?
0: Yeah, he kicked him. Like when when the guy and Kyle are like, "Holy crap, they're executing people!" They they fly up. Kyle's yelling at him, like, "Stop! What are you doing?" Kyle just like hauls off and like kicks the guy. <laughs> Did it strike you as odd that the Alpha Lanterns didn't just drain Kyle and Guy's rings?
1: Actually, you know what? Somebody was saying on the forums that... Oh, I, I think my, it might have been you as far as the Alpha Lanterns seem to not really have much of a personality.
0: No, no, that wasn't me. I, th- I, re- I replied to that guy. I don't remember who it was. Okay,
1: well... And, yeah, so, like, you know, I guess the... Discussion Like, I, I think I made some comments along the lines of, like, well, maybe if since you took away their emotions, their personalities are, you know, being taken away as well. But, you know, you're right as far as, you know, they could have just drained the rings. So maybe by not draining the rings, it shows that they are still, you know, like, uh, have some personality. That could be. I think it was Earth G. Billy. Earth G. Billy that had said that, yeah.
0: I mean, part of me thought, like, well, maybe since they're Honor Guard, the Alpha Lanterns were making a special exception, but I don't really think they're the type to make exceptions like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Like, similar to Sinestro, now, all of a sudden, I'm curious to see Kanjaro and, god, what the hell is this guy's name? It's really long complicated. Like, Bala something or other. The the guy who Al Moore created, I think, to hunt Mogo, followed that tricks or something.
1: Oh, it's, uh, Balfunga.
0: Wow, I was completely wrong. Yeah. But yeah, like, the Guardians show up, and they de- they decide, like, alright, anyone who was promised, uh, what, not amnesty, but, you know, any anyone who was promised to
1: yeah, not being killed. Anybody promised not to be executed?
0: Yeah, they like they would honor those promises. But everybody else dies, and it's just those two protect, protected by a green field, as every Sinestro Corps member around them is incinerated. So it's like, like it's it's just like how leading up to Blackest Night, you start noticing all of the pockets of dead people all over the place. Yeah, like like you can start to see like the pockets of resistance too because i mean like these guys these two villains these are like c d list bad guys and they're not gonna forget what happened here they're not gonna forget that kyle and guy stuck their necks out to try and save them from it so like i i actually like this is the first time i can ever actually say i've wanted to see these two bad guys show up again
1: yeah like i'm definitely curious as far as how the interactions are gonna go how this is going to alter their character. I don't think it's... It's definitely not going to redeem them, like, by any cha- by any measure. Oh, yeah, no. And I know Balfunga like, still definitely wants to kill Guy Gardner. But, uh... Yeah, no, it'll definitely be interesting to see what happens in the future.
0: And Scar basically lays it all out, makes the executions public. Kyle's really trying here, because he's... I mean, he's, he's the perfect character to try and preach to the choir about this, because, like he's the one that kept the light burning for all those years just so that the core could come back, and now he's seeing what it's becoming. Right. So, I, I, like, imagine what must be going through his head. Like, there must be some part of him thinking right now, like, did I do the right thing?
1: Well, in Blackest Night number one, I'm not going to spoil anything as far as that, but what they do make reference to is that, like, Kyle is supposedly the conscience of the core.
0: Yeah, which, that does make sense. Definitely. i yeah, we'll see. Um, oh, and in, like, the two seconds we spend on Daxam in this issue... Right. Mongol Mongol makes reference to how, like, well, you know, a planet populated by Superman is kind of more trouble than I want. I have... What, what did he say? I do believe there's a planet that may fit our requirements and serve this, as... Uh, and serve the symbol of this core in a much more fulfilling way. So, what world do you think he's talking about? Okay,
1: now this I actually did post on the forum. I think it's the Mother Mercy planet.
0: Really? Yes. Now, why do you think that? Just because it's Mongol? (laughs) I think because it's
1: Mongol, and because now he has a a vendetta against that whole planet. The planet tried to eat him. The planet, like, it was digesting him. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah, now he has an entire core of Sinestro members. I think he's definitely going to take it to that planet to try and, you know, take it over, basically.
0: Because I was trying to think, like, what planet would be appropriate from, like, a fear angle? And I, th- I have the th- first I'm thinking, like, well, he hates lots of people on Earth. Maybe he'll come for Earth. No, nah, he won't do that. Then like if he tried to take Oa, now they're not gonna do that. What I think would be cool, and it might tie together some uh some uh core clashes, is if he tried to take Korgar.
1: That would be interesting.
0: So I mean he's it's Sinestro's army that he's he's basically stolen Sinestro's army. So what better base of operations would be Sinestro's homeworld that he also steals?
1: Well that would be interesting, and also you have the fact that the people of Korrigar are somewhat fearful of Green Lanterns. So by using that fear, you know, it may help fuel the Sinestro core.
0: Plus, think about the setup for confrontations, because we know at some point the Red Lanterns are probably going to show up there, depending on where Saranic happens to be. Or actually not even, because all they know is that Sinestro has a daughter, so they're going to go to his homeworld. Right. So if you want the, the Yellow Lanterns and Red Lanterns to fight, like, the easiest way to do it would be to send a whole mess of Yellow Lanterns to Koragar, because the Red Lanterns are going to go there anyway.
1: Right. Well, I mean, like, the third option to that is, since this is Mongol's son, perhaps this Mongol has his own war world. I didn't even think about that. You know, that, I think, would, uh, would also make a lot of sense. But I mean, like, I think all three, at this point, are very, very good possibilities. It could be the Mother Mercy planet, it could be Korrigar, or it could be another war world.
0: You know, one world that I really want to see them do something with is Maltus. Oh. It feels like, like, if they chose that world to do almost anything with, it would pack such a punch because that's where the Guardians started out. Like, I don't even remember if I said on the show or not, but back when we didn't, well, we still kind of don't know, but back when we didn't know where the Black Lantern was, one of the things in the back of my mind was maybe it's on Maltus.
1: Do we know for sure that it isn't?
0: I don't think we, no, I don't think we do. Actually, has it ever been said what sector Maltus is in?
1: No, I don't think so. They may have.
0: Maybe it is in sector 666, I don't know the the last note i have on this whole thing is <laughs> my i think the the best action moment of the entire story is in issue 37 page 10 panel 1 guy is just like guy is using a big green staple gun to just nail someone to the wall <laughs> i i love it it's so funny. <laughs> that, and I love, like, the middle panel on the next page where you see, like, the giant just being chained to the central battery.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely cool.
0: Really good. Really, really great art story all around. Without a doubt. So, overall, what do you think? Was this, like, a really great story, an amazing story, or a story you would sell your firstborn child to buy a second time? <laughs> Which of those unbiased options would you go with? (laughs) Uh,
1: I would say on, out of, like, five stars, I would probably give this, like, three and a half to four stars.
0: I would probably be, like, on a solid four, just because, like, just because, like, I wasn't really, oh, we didn't even touch on, well, there's nothing really to touch on, I guess, but the last page of this issue, of the final issue, I hated because it felt like, it felt like this this was a really great issue that ended just kind of in the middle. Because they had they put in this like just random page of like swirling colors in the distance, and then an asteroid explodes and a, some black rings show up. Like this is I even saw on the forum this is the exact way that that Ion 12 issue mess ended. Like all of a sudden they just abruptly stopped and gave us a last page of Sinestro Core rings. Flying around and then saying like, "Sinestro War is coming," and this is exactly what happens here. But yeah, so yeah, the final issue felt a little disjointed from the rest of the of the story arc. But overall, I was really pleased. Like this and *Sins of the Star Sapphire*. Like if you if you have been on the fence about trying *Green Lantern Corps*, or if you haven't read it in a while, get those two story arcs because they are really good. Actually, I will go so far, I will go so far to say, and this is, this is a bold statement, and I, be, I believe it 100%, that for the last like, five or whatever months, maybe more of the latest, I have no idea, Green Lantern Corps has been a better book than Green Lantern. Just across the board. How long? For the last like five five months or so, because I mean, in my opinion, Green Lantern has been on like a low ebb, from starting with like the final issue of Rage of the Red Lanterns all the way up through Agent Orange, and at the same time, this was going on. So it's like, wow, this is, this is this is doing everything for me that the the regular quote unquote book is not doing.
1: Mm, yeah, I don't know. I I, I really like the original the the main Green book Green Lantern book.
0: You just saying that cuz the main book gives you more to theorize about.
1: I do like that. I like the the little hidden things. Like I guess I had I totally had not, fo- you know, seen the uh the little star sapphire, you know, bracelet thing that sh- that Nat 2 was wearing. That's really cool. But most of the time a lot of the things I think are a lot more straightforward in Green Lantern Corps. Yeah. So it just it makes it more difficult for me to like pick up on things and discuss them. And although you know, as I say that, we've been recording now for how long? <laughs> Two hours, basically.
0: So there there is something to be said for being surface level about your stories, because I mean, it it allows you to just just have fun with it, you know. Because, I mean, this is a, this is a book where like <clears throat> the book in general and the story arc where like. The art is consistently solid, the writing is really good, they've treat the char- they been treating the characters really well, and it's just been fun to read, unlike certain other story arcs. <laughs>
1: <coughs> oh boy. You're going to cause problems when we want to get certain guests on.
0: Who are we trying to get on? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, we're trying to get on quite a few high-profile people, but... You see, keep saying stuff like that about that Orange Lantern storyline, I don't know.
0: What, are you, are you, what, are we targeting freaking, oh, uh, I keep wanting to say Philip Tan, but that's not right.
1: Yeah, his name is Philip Tan. Is it? Yeah.
0: Oh wait, who am I thinking, isn't there another, is there like, there? there's another Tan who works at Marvel, I don't know. Alright, whatever. Are we trying to get him? Should we not be? <laughs> I don't know, we seem to not like his work. <laughs> You're the one that doesn't like his work. I love his work. You're complaining about it too. Come on.
1: Oh, please. I pick up on certain little things, but overall I like it.
0: I all right, I will say like his his pencil work is really good. So it's, it's any any negative stuff about the art in that story probably most likely is not his fault. But I mean, just taking taken the art overall in Age Orange, it wasn't very good.
1: It'd be interesting to have him on to find out.
0: I've never seen any of his work outside of Agent Orange. So I'm absolutely willing to give the benefit of the doubt to the idea that, you know, maybe it was a problem with the collaboration process with the inker and colorist, or just the inker, or just the colorist or whatever. But, you know, all I can go by is like what I saw in Agent Orange.
1: And what I will say is that I do really like his art. Like there are some points that you know look like they could use a little bit of work, but overall, like I love it. I love his pencils, and I actually did get to meet him at the New York comic con and he did a sketch for me, and he was very nice.
0: yeah like everything I say sounds like a backhanded compliment like <laughs> like i was I was trying to describe countdown to somebody, but the other week. <laughs> They asked me like, "Well, who are the people that worked on Countdown? Who are the artists?" And I'm like, "Or who are the writers, or whatever?" And he's, I was like, "I'm sure they're all very nice people." <laughs> That's all <laughs> I could <can> say. about <laughs> uh, oh. I don't know. I'm just glad we had Green Lantern Corps for the last like five months. <laughs> I
1: I definitely liked it. I I without a doubt, definitely did like it. There were a couple of things where, you know, I do have questions about the, you know, the logistics to certain things. And I, I would say that there are probably some some of the things that I have problems with. They probably, you know, realized that there were going to be problems with it, but that said, okay, well, be, you know, to fit the story, we're going to have to do this. And they just had to work around that. But... You know, overall, like, I, no, I, I really did like it. And the art, you know, is fantastic. I, I really enjoy the, the Gleason art. I'm looking forward to seeing more and more of the Green Lantern issues come out with the Doug Mankey art. Yeah. That'll be cool.
0: It's, it's weird. You're like, I, oh, yeah, I liked it. It was good. I liked it. And whereas I had to almost, like, talk you into doing this episode. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, like I said, yeah, even though we've been recording for a couple of hours, you know, the when it gets right down to it, it's like, I, I, like, when a new issue of Green Lantern Corps comes out, it's always, you know, it's the first thing that I read. It's the top of my pile. I read it. I enjoy it. And that's basically it for me. Like, I read Green Lantern Corps, I enjoy Green Lantern Corps. I'm going to keep on reading Green Lantern Corps till forever or until they stop making it and I'm always going to enjoy it.
0: No, look, they will keep doing it forever. They should.
1: <laughs> I'll always enjoy it, but like yeah, I, I just I don't think I'm going to get as much out of it from, you know, as from Green Lantern.
0: I almost think that helps it because for the show, for these episodes, that's the only time I've gone back and reread entire story arcs of this thing in a in one chunk and because so much goes on and it's not stuff you have to think too hard about, like it's it's almost less memorable, which which sounds like a bad thing, but it's the fact that like you can go back and reread this thing, like it's it's I, I equate it to watching like a an episode or season or whatever of, of Family Guy, where there is so much that happens in each episode of Family Guy, you're not going to remember everything that happens. You're not going to remember all the jokes. You're always going to, like... You're, every time you rewatch it, you're gonna notice and recall and something different that you maybe didn't pick up on last time, or you did, but you just totally forgot about it because of like the information overload almost. And that makes Family Guy like almost infinitely rewatchable. And I feel like the same thing happens with Green Lantern Corps, where there's so many characters, there's so many plot lines and subplots and developments going on, and it's all spread out month to month, story arc to story arc. That you can keep going back to this thing and rereading it and y- without having to like think about like intricacies and hintings and all that stuff and just like take it for face value as like this there's a lot of characters here, there's a lot of story here. And, you know, even if I don't retain all of it, that just means I can go back to it again and like have that experience again.
1: So kinda like a summer blockbuster kind of thing?
0: Mm, well, yeah, except it doesn't suck. <laughs>
1: I'm not referring to summer blockbusters that suck. I'm talking about the fun ones that you want to rewatch over and over again, just because they're fun.
0: Well, whenever I hear summer blockbuster, I always think of, like, like the effect-driven movie where things explode and it doesn't matter. You know?
1: Well, they ha- there are some with really good stories, too.
0: Like? True Lies. Never saw it.
1: Terminator 2. It was good. Independence Day.
0: Mm, middle of the Road.
1: Well, you get the point though. I mean like it's it, it's I yeah, I would I would say I would agree with you and I would say it, yeah, it's definitely it has that effect where not yeah, not so much that it's not memorable, but you know, the the details themselves like, you know, it's it, I guess Green Lantern Corps is more about getting the concept across. Yeah. And then enjoying the story while you're reading it.
0: Yeah, cuz I think if you're reading Green Lantern Corps, you kind of have to be in it for the long haul because Like, they space stuff out because they have to, because there's such a large cast. So, you know, if you just read a story arc or a couple issues or a random issue here and there because of a tie in or whatever, then you're gonna, you're probably gonna wonder, like, well, what the hell is this? I don't know anything about these people. But, I mean, some of these characters, I feel like I know them as well as I know Hal Jordan because we've been getting, like, bits and pieces about them over the last, like, what, three years, however long this book has been going?
1: Well, if you take into account the mini-series beforehand, like, four years. Yeah.
0: So for four years, they've been giving us, like, tidbits about everybody in different proportions. Like, in, like, uh, almost random, spread out. You know what I'm trying to say?
1: (laughs) Yes, I do. And you know what? I think we should close on that note. Yeah. Uh, Not actually close. We'll take our, our second break and then come back with the closing information. All right. And for this last break, we have a very special song by the band Kirby Crackle.
0: Yeah, this is awesome.
1: (laughs) You can find them at KirbyCrackleMusic.com. All you have to do is go there and join up on their mailing list, and they will send you this song. The song is entitled Ring Capacity, so enjoy.
2: Yet to find my place, I'm guarding 2814. I don't know why it's chosen me. But from the corner of my eye, I catch a glimpse of evil light. The fear tries to swallow me like.
1: Crackle. You could find it at KirbyCrackleMusic.com, and for the track was Ring Capacity.
0: Yep, and just sign up on their mailing list. They will send you the MP3 for free. Um, it'll probably take them about a day to get it to you because I signed up for it, and then like the next night it was in my inbox. Cool. Yes, yeah, very cool. So, so all right. <laughs> You want to contact us? Out, us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I swear, to God, we're gonna write something down one of these days. Um, exactly. Yeah. If you if you want to contact us, it's I almost said ring capacity at what? <laughs> it's lanterncast at gmail or you can talk to us on our forum at thecomicforums.com. Scroll on down all alphabetically to lanterncast. It's under L. Uh Do we still have a website? <laughs>
1: We have a website at lanterncast.com that has our feed there. It also has a link to the forums if you don't want to type anything else in. Lazy. We're on iTunes.
0: We are on iTunes. That's awesome. And we... Uh, what else do we have?
1: <laughs> Did you give them our email address? Yes. Okay. You could do it again.
0: No. <laughs> they, can, they can rewind. <laughs> okay. Um chonata on the forum I'm gland um, you know just just go there and talk to people who are fans of the show and fans of the books it's it's a good time black as nights starting up you can you can talk all your green black blue orange violet teal plaid sombrero lantern topics you want there it's it's, it's great
1: <laughs> yes and come back next episode episode 18. For our in-depth Blackest Night number one coverage.
0: Oh yes, and we're also, I think we're also going to cover. Uh, what issue Green Lantern was that? The Black Hand issue, forty-three. Yeah, yes. we're going to be covering. I think Green Lantern forty-three, Blackest Night zero, and Blackest Night one. Excellent. Yes, it's finally here. <laughs> Jesus.
1: Right. That episode should be out in about a week after this one.
0: All right. Okay, folks. So until next. You just you do it, you do it. Alright, till Uh, next time. See you later, folks. Oh
1: god. I keep talking. What (laughs) the hell?
0: (laughs) Okay folks, see you later folks. He's Jim Ford, I'm Dan Kretsky. Bye. So long. Why'd
2: I ever have to say words of shame. Words I should never say again Why'd you ever have to read between the lines Creating stories that should have been all left behind Why'd you ever have to hear my voice